Good evening. Good evening, Jeff. How are you doing? Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. We've had a long day today, haven't we? Long day. Hard day, but a good day. Working hard, haven't we? Yeah. Earn, earning the crust. Trying to. So, we're in London town. It's London village. Evening. And we've been we've been teaching today. Yeah. Um, well, teaching teaching is a strong word for what we do, really. I suppose, isn't it? That, that supposes we've been transferring knowledge, but we've been facilitating learning. Yes. That's our aim: facilitate learning with a bunch of scrum masters, predominantly. Yeah. And we are in. Is it called the Phoenix? The Phoenix, Phoenix. which is on um, Palace Street, and as the name the name of the street would suggest, it's right by the Palace. Obviously, referring to Buckingham Palace, Her Majesty, God Ma- save the Queen, God bless her. Clink our glasses to the Queen. Clink our glasses. Clink, to the as, as Howard reminded us to say. Royal Britannia. Mm. So, you know what? what are you drinking? Aspals, Jeff. Standard Ste- um, Suffolk cider in a lovely goblet of a glass. Steady favourite for you. Yeah. But yeah, nice. Always nice at the end of the day, end of a, of a training day. What about you? You've gone for something local. Well, local-ish. It's a, it's a Camden. Camden. Won't do the accent. <laughs> Camden, you just did. Camden Pale Ale, uh, which apparently, I didn't realise this, I just presumed it was a, a London, pure London thing, but um, the hops apparently from America. Oh. Um, it's only 4%. Tastes a little bit stronger than 4%, to be honest. Is it? It's quite hoppy, quite nice. I've had uh, I've had other other beers from the Camden Brewery. I haven't had this one. It's, it's nice. It's very drinkable. Seems to be their um, their brewery of choice in this pub. Yeah. Got a bit of a gastro pub feel to it, isn't it? Kind of modern. All right. So it'd be nice know. to talk about something while it's fresh in our minds, full of stuff that came out of today. Was there anything interesting for you that came out of today? Any questions that we were asked, or any long discussions we got into that we thought were good to mm. share? No, it's, a, it's a fruitful source, I suppose, of information. Mm. Um, I guess the one thing that sticks out for me was a couple of couple of the scrum masters from different companies. They seemed to be quite uh, almost at the end of their tether, I suppose, with their teams in a way. They, they seem quite frustrated that you know, they're trying all these good things with them, but they're just not the teams just not responding. Mm. Um, and the question that, that sticks in my mind was I'm not sure how he phrased it was something along the lines of this is all well and good you know all this, this stuff that we're doing this team charter this you know, assumptions and, and team building stuff and values and behaviours and all that kind of stuff but what, what do you do when the team is just really cynical about that and they think this is just a whole bunch of nonsense not interested in it just want to do my job leave me alone thank you very much the team, the team have come back with that. Yeah, I mean, I saw, that's, that's the scenario you put to me this today. Was you know, I, I see what you see what you're doing, Jeff. See the value in all this stuff, but uh, the team just not interested. They just don't. They just don't want to buy into this self-organising responsibility nonsense. Mm. Um, do you get that a lot? Not for really from a team, um, unless I'm just I'm, I'm just working with. Because my flippant answer today was just fire them. But, um, no, no, you can't do that, obviously. But um, no, but to, to a degree, I am blunt enough to say 
we have the luxury these days that you should be able to hire decent people and mm. if if you're not hiring decent people then you're not hiring decent people and it's not you can usually these days work out which people have been in a, a scrum team before mm. and they should be you know you'd hope you're hiring team players that want to play t t a team game yeah there's expectations on people now who are who are part of a team in an agile organisation that you know you're not just expected to be a code monkey or, or, or test 24 hours a day it's you know you, you're part of a team yeah and you have responsibilities not just for your job no but part of the team's job yeah um, I mean, my, my instinctive reaction was that I'm not surprised because I, I, it's not I hear that now and again, but to me, it's it's always a symptom of something else. Uh, and the two, I would say, the two most common reasons for that kind of response, in my experience, are that, that team doesn't have the chemistry there. There's there's like history there that certain members don't get on, don't trust each other, or that team believes that the work that they're involved in is unachievable yeah. and so they're looking for reasons of, of why they looking for excuses sounds quite quite a negative thing but yeah it's not necessarily conscious they're looking for reasons why they can't be successful is there also a sense of it's not going to change anything anyway that kind of the the idea that yeah. if there's an exp if there's a constant history of failure or yeah. a, l a low productivity or low pay or low morale yeah. just unrewarding behavior then you just why why bother why why bother doing something differently if it's not going to make the you know the smallest bit of difference anyway I don't, I don't think that's a fair comment I, when you say that it reminds me of uh, a guy we used to work with which um, which we shouldn't name but his name was Ian <laughs> but um, <laughs> Ian he used to sit. We'll call him Ian. We'll call him Ian. Yeah, we'll call him. That's what we said. We'll call him. It's not called Ian, but we'll call him. Names changed. We used to sit in the corner, like literally the the corner seat in the office. And it was. I mean, actually, if you had a drink with him, he was quite a nice bloke, but miserable and cynical, and just saw no point in doing anything other than the bare minimum. Didn't want to. wasn't interested in being part of a team. And when I spoke to him about it, his response was, Jeff, I've been here for 25 years. Projects fail. Yeah. The company carries on making money. Yeah. I haven't lost my job. Yeah. So, why bother? Yeah. Why bother? And to, that, to me, there was two elements to that. One is, you know, the company's still making money. So why change? Yeah. And the second is, I haven't lost my job. So why change? And if you can't see a potential benefit of doing anything different, and there are no potential negative consequences of doing anything different, then stasis is the natural, easy thing, isn't it? But it's easier to hide that in a large company, isn't yes. it? Yes. So the the transparency of failure is um, is less so. Mm. So we knew at that time that BT was failing. Yeah. But. The company was so, was so vast that people in those businesses didn't realise it. Mm. Yeah, and it would probably take a lot longer for that the the effect to actually hit someone like Ian. We're calling Ian. Yeah. Um, so there's that kind of the ripple effect takes longer to, to get through to people like that. Mm. But if you were in a much there's much you'd hope 
I think we're at that kind of point now, but where there's so many smaller companies that are hiring good people that they don't have to, the, the, the effects are a lot more real. Yeah. So, and we're in London, the big smoke. I mean, my wife used to work, and, and, she, and the, the, I think the attitude, the mentality is if, if you're not up to scratch in a place in, like this and you're in a small company, then they'll find someone else. There's, there's people queuing up, you know, to take your job, so. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the same kind of mentality everywhere. It certainly wasn't at BT. Anyway. No, but, big company, um, company yeah. I mean, we talked about some of this stuff today, and you know, I think there's that, that sense of, if you don't think your job is achievable, then why bother? Yeah. If, you, if there's no negative consequences to change, why bother? But there's, um, to me, there's an element of, well, you are going to come to work tomorrow. Okay, you are going to be here tomorrow. Unless you quit, yeah. you're going to be here. So, what do you want to do? Do you want do you want to be part of something good? Do you want to be part of a, a good team? If that was possible, yeah. would you want to be part of a good team? Yeah. Or would you just want to be part of, meh? Yeah. Get out of bed, meh. Another day in the office, meh. But uh, there's a worrying amount of people that do have that mentality. Usually the people that I speak to, when we get down to it, it's a fear of going for something and it not working out. Sort of getting your expectations up again and mm. it not working out. Um, and if we can minimise the the risk of, of negative consequence failure, whatever, yeah, and, and maximise the benefits, maybe even just visualise the benefits. You know, close your eyes, imagine in three months' time or six months' time, you're coming in, the team's successful, there's a buzz about the place, you, you've delivered, your customers are happy. You know, you, you've got an end of sprint release coming up, and you've got a, a, a good social going out. The boss has put a couple of a couple of hundred quid behind the bar for a celebration at the end of. Um, would you would you like to be a part of that? Do you think people like like Ian have ever experienced that kind of team? Or do you think do you think you need to experience it first to know what you want it to be, or do you think it's a dream that people can have that sometimes you might never get? To? I don't think you have to experience it. I think it helps, but I think you can look. You can look at things elsewhere. Oh yeah, there's you can lots look of at examples. Yeah. You can look at. You can watch a movie. Exactly, yeah. Even if it's fictitious. You, yeah, I'd like to be... I'd, that looks good. It's that escapism, isn't it? People people crave what they what they think is beyond them or what they think is mm. fictitious. So it's trying to make that... even elements of that fictitious team more... What If we could take one part of that team mm. and do one thing that they do that translates to what we do in software, what, what would it be? Is that a direct question? No, that's a, a, a rhetorical question. A rhetorical yeah. question yeah. And, but if, if Ian was here, that's what I'd ask him. Jeff. Okay. So yeah, this or, idea. Or of you could fire Ian. And, and yeah, <laughs> and I know you said yeah, I probably wouldn't do that. But there is an element of that, not necessarily firing. But, but people in BT thought they were untouchable. Didn't they they? did, yeah. And that the history until that point proved yeah. them so. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think I think product owners are a lot more discerning. There is, there's no getting away from the fact that you know an agile approach does shine a spotlight, and that, that's yeah. you know when you know when you have a conversation with Ian really one to one, someone like Ian, we'll call him Ian, that kind of person. <laughs> it, often there is an element of, but what if I'm not good enough? Oh what, yeah, Huge what if fear, I, what if yeah. I don't have the technical capability? What mm. what if the team don't accept me? If I, exactly, if I want yeah. to be part what of the team I'm and they not? reject me? Yeah, um, there's a lot of assumptions there. Yeah. Um, that actually you could probably work through and if you did they'd, they'd have more confidence in giving it a go mm. it's to me this we're talking a lot about how scrum masters tactics for change and a lot of it is about just 
creating that environment where it's okay to have a go, reducing the risk of failure, reducing the pressure of failure. So you know, what would you like to try this sprint what, rather than what are you going to commit to changing? Yeah. What would you like to experiment with? These kinds of things. Yeah. So the language, it, yeah. yeah. So if it doesn't work on, work out, because not all variables are within your control, mm. it's okay. Mm. Um, and if you can reduce the pressure on things, change is more likely to happen. Mm. Well, it's that, and we suffered a bit from this today, that there's no one truth, there's no still easy pill to swallow, is there, that makes it's going to make it all okay tomorrow. Mm. It's, you've got to, you've got to try a few things out. Try different, try different approaches. People, people are motivated in different ways. It's mm -hmm. not, and then we've, I think we've discussed this before, but it's primarily it's not about pay anymore. People, as long as people feel they're being paid enough, then they don't moan about it. Um, Everyone. Just, just, just checking myself before I make this this really outrageous statement. I can't think of anyone that I've spoken to who I've said, "Would you sacrifice a small amount of salary for more fulfilling work, mm. or more enjoyable work, mm. or to be part of a better team?" Mm. I can't think of anyone that has said no. Mm. Money's more important than all of that. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's a really. For me, at least, if I was you know, the role of Scrum Master, if I was the role of a manager, a leader within an organisation, I would be doing everything to leverage that desire to be part of something meaningful, to be, have, some, have an enjoyable aspect to my work, to feel under less pressure. People would pay to reduce the pressure on themselves, yeah. they would. Um, as, as much as pressure can be a good thing and a motivator, I'm sure people will say you know, pressure, pressure drives success and pressure drives creativity and all that, but people would be willing to sacrifice some of their money to have a less pressured, less stressful, more enjoyable, more fulfilling job. Mm. Quite, uh, would you agree with that? I mean, that's, I no, I think that's wasn't true. planning on making that statement. I don't find many people now. I don't have many discussions at all. <coughs> I mean, even informally about pay. About I mean, it reminds me of the the old days when pay used to be the only thing we talked about where mm. people would bitch and moan about levels and objectives and pay rises and salaries and bonuses but maybe it's because I'm not as involved in that, that side of things as I was yeah but we're, not, we're not really in the corporate no and we don't I mean I had to do an element of it at Nokia you had to get kind of involved in the line management side of things but to a degree I think good you hire good people you pay them good wages and people People this day, these day and age, this day and age are a lot more picky about where they go. People look at the company, don't they? Mm. And we've talked about this before about if you teach a good company and they're they're good people. In some regards, the pay is is kind of secondary. It's mm. I, I want to work for I want to work for these people. They're, they're good people, or they they do they're doing a good thing. Good people attract good people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. so. I think the pay element. I think that's probably more. We we've come from a big company uh, culture whereby that was that was almost common ground. You could talk to people because everyone had the same. You know, everyone went through the same leveling process or the mm. same objective process, that, and we all had to um, tick those boxes. But I think now it's a bit more. People are a bit more open to, to doing things in different ways and um, looking at motivating and rewarding people in different ways. I mean, I, I think. It, I, Sorry to go on, but I think about that coaching team we were involved with in BT, which you were instrumental in, in building. But what was good about that was working with people I enjoyed working with. That was a huge part of mm. 
huge part of my enjoyment was, and that when that went away, when when a lot of those guys left, a huge part of that fulfilment went yeah. when people that I enjoyed working with weren't there anymore. Sorry, man. That's your fault. But that's <laughs> fine. I've, I've got it. I'm getting over it. I still cry slightly at night, but I'm, I'll um, I'll get over it eventually. Maybe in 10, 15 years. But um, but that's one element is working with people you you like. Feeling like you're making a difference. Mm. That was a big part of our coaching team because we were we were looked at as you know the experts. Mm. And I'm, I admittedly apologies here, people. I'm blowing one's own trumpet rather loudly, but we were ahead of the game. We were um, in that regard. So it was it was fulfilling work. In yeah, the land well, of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. As Nigel, if Nigel was here, he would say that. Say one that. of his favourite sayings. Yeah, it's true. And when that was taken away from us, I became very disengaged from the company, not just the people, the company. Mm. Um, and that's inevitably what left me, you know, why I left. Mm. But it, what worries me is that people that have, and this came up today, it's people that have become disengaged, but don't leave. Yeah. And in some regards, I think they are potentially... You know, poison, they're about poisonous yeah. about their, they have, they are poisonous to other people who are engaged because yeah. if you've got one of those people on your team that will have an effect on the, even the most positive people yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, slightly related to that last comment uh, but something else that, that we've talked about in the past and I think it's quite relevant to the conversation today is that so I positioned this as, 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 as this person said to us, yeah, I get what you're saying there, Jeff, but the team <laughs> wouldn't buy it. Now, I'm not convinced that he did. And I think he... So we've, we've well, done, he bought it. Yeah, I don't right. think he really thought this is something that I believe in. You know, teams developing their own definition of success and, and, and coming up with their own yeah. values and yeah, behaviors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he really believed in that. And his, his, his argument to us was, yeah, I'm all right with that, but I'm pretty sure the team wouldn't be. Yeah. Now, if he is, then I think he could find a way to make it appealing to the team. But if he's not, the, the team will see through that very, very quickly. And they're not going to give it any idea the time of day if they, they believe or even suspect that the person positioning this idea, this exercise, this, this artifact or process doesn't believe in it. I think you're right. We've yeah. talked about selling the fluffy side of Agile. Yeah, we? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. Even the hintest smell of a rat, mm. people are onto it. If you've got, an, and you may not do it consciously, yeah. it may be something as frivolous as saying, you know, um, I just thought I'd give this exercise a whirl, not expecting much. It could be something like that. Yeah. You're not expecting much out of this. Mm. That, that's, that gives that people that element that you doubt it, therefore it's okay for me to doubt it. Yeah. And it gives us a reason for us all to poo-poo the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're, as human beings, we're highly tuned into... If there's a doubt, we'll, mm. we'll, you know, it will more multiply before we know it. So yeah, I guess what I'm saying there is if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a scrum master and you, you, are, you don't believe in what you're doing with a team telling a team don't do or tell do you think that. it's oh, that's like one of do you think it's possible for a scrum master to fake it then fake, can you I'm fake, sure can some you fake people it? can I'm sure some people can but the vast majority no can you fake optimism can you fake belief well actors can can't they can yeah but they are acting and they turn it off 
So imagine, you've got to, imagine you've got to sustain that for years, years and years and years of acting, faking constantly. <laughs> Pregnant pause. Um, no, I, I think the vast, vast majority of people would give something away. They, they, even if they were brilliant at it, they would let their guard down at some point, and it would be the. It only takes, I'm sure I'm kind of grasping for a really clever phrase or quote here, but it, just one one moment where you show your true colours, what you truly believe... A tell. Will, yeah, will undermine everything else. It's like but, poker players, isn't it? You know, I mean, you, you play... If Nigel's here, obviously, he's, he's he's the expert poker player. He's probably playing poker as you speak. <laughs> but you've played a bit of poker. You, I mean, they talk about tells, don't they, yeah. poker? I'm sure that Everybody has one. we all have... It could be something as subtle as, you know, a facial... This is why I'm not very good. I, <laughs> I remember years and years ago when I, when I actually enjoyed playing poker. So where was this? This was probably, I'll say, 2004 or five, maybe. I went to Vegas. The only time I've been to Vegas. Yeah. And uh, I sat down at a poker table in one of the casinos, I forget which one, and um, just to just play cash poker. And... Um, I was doing all right. There was there were some other people on the table who, who weren't very good at poker. They were you know, from Mexico. And they, they were speaking Spanish. They kept getting told off by the dealer for speaking Spanish at the table. And apparently, You're not allowed to do apparently that. they weren't allowed to anymore. But um, anyway, I got chatting to them, and it turned out that they'd come over to Vegas for the World Dominoes tournament, right. and they'd lost. Oh no! Quite early, so they said, "Well, what else are we going to do?" So they went and played poker, which they weren't very good at. So that was the only reason I was winning. Um, that and the fact that I managed to get four twos which is very hard for anyone wow. to spot yeah so I was doing quite 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 enjoying myself and then this one guy turned up and sat down at the table and within 10 minutes he was saying quite openly to my face these you have a, a 10 jack was well, he right yeah he knew what cards I had because of how I was playing and how I was reacting he knew and that scared the hell out of me and I left <laughs> really yeah so I, I'm not very and that's good. within how many how many hours or minutes or within ten minutes maybe. really yeah. So imagine that you know, how, as a scrum master, is it fair to say your team know you better than you think you do? Oh yeah, I would say. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they they will always be surprised. They will never know everything about you. And, you know, if they spent a couple of hours in you in your company, they would learn a lot about you. But they they will know a lot more about your mentality, your thought process, your your, weaknesses. your values, your weaknesses than you you think they do. Yeah. I, I believe that. Yeah. Interesting. I think you know a lot more about me than than I think you know about me. Mm. Mm. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll use that against you someday. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, going back to our our initial example, I, my my response to to the person that asked the question, "What would you do?" Um, I think there's an important part of how I work that comes into this which is that I operate on the principle that all our, all things being equal people want to, to succeed they don't want to fail um, I get from the psychology perspective that there are, there are reasons why they might want to self-sabotage and you know, fail um, to draw attention to certain things and, and to cover for certain things but on the whole people if all else being equal would like to succeed so as a scrum master or a leader or a manager my first instinct is what what's going on in the environment that's 
that's forcing them to act against their interests mm. how can I help them get what they really want mm. which is to be successful because it's very easy to look at that person as an awkward person <laughs> um, <laughs> someone who you know, the problem child yeah, yeah. The, the bad apple yeah. all those kinds of things uh, like the naughty child at school it's very easy to look at them like that but there's something going on that's causing them to do that they're lacking attention elsewhere or what have you can I pause you there? Yep. So it reminds me, and again, at this point, I really am not going to mention names because this is current, right? Okay. But I did some coaching. We, we've often chimed in with our coaching kind of um, okay. stuff that we do outside of work. Uh, outside of work. So I was coaching with the under sixes mm. at my local rugby club, and there's a lad there that um, quite, you know, quite regularly on Sundays misbehaves. Okay. And I was talking to my wife about it and said, well, how would you deal with it? And so it's an interesting thing with, with, that, with bad behaviour. So it's, I've labelled it bad behaviour. Mm. So in this case, it was not listening or it was, it was putting on a silly voice, let's say that, when, when trying saying his name. Okay. Simple instruction, just say your name, but he would do it in a silly voice, okay. which the other people can understand. So I just yeah. So my wife's reaction was, right or wrong, I'm not going to judge her at this point, this, this, what she, this is what she would do, she said, send him to the back of the line ignore okay because is that a punishment or just ignore well, it well well um, she was her, her defence was don't give the attention to okay. remove the attention to give because you're fo- you're focusing on that yeah. I don't want to be careful don't get into child psychology and things like that but as a parent and as me as a coach I'm that takes time mm-hmm. to, to reinforce that so Put the child to the end of the line, move on to the next child, yeah. and carry on next activity. And I can't challenge that. I think that, that my my instinct was to know, let's work on this and let's try and get this right, so you can learn how to do this better. So it's an, it's I can't remember where I was going with that, but it's it. So what what, what did you do? I Your took, wife said put him to the back of the line. What I did didn't you, do that. What did you? Do? I kept I got him to repeat it until he said his name right. Okay. In a in what kind of way? I tried to explain to him so the other lad can't hear you if you're saying it in a silly voice. Mm. So just try it again, try it again, try it again until he did it right. Okay. okay. Not looking for a right answer. No, I'm just no, saying no, it's no. different that, that people approach that, deal with that in a different way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of I learned a lot from Jean Tobacco. Um, one of the things that she said was a great facilitation. Um, was for the facilitator to as much as possible um, own, own the blame if necessary um, so in that example Gene would probably I imagine Gene would probably have said I'm sorry I, I, I'm really struggling to understand you I'm, oh, okay. I can't I can't it's my fault I can't understand you because you try saying that in another way so I can because I can't do that she would probably oh, okay. own that so that it's there's, he doesn't have to lose face by correcting his, his behaviour yeah um, and most mediators, most facilitators will operate on that kind of principle of give them the opportunity to change their behaviour without losing face. Okay, interesting. Um, and I, <clears throat> that's something that I've always tried to, to have as, as part of my facilitation. Yeah. No, I, no, I, weirdly, I'd never thought of that. Until you mentioned that then, I, that had never crossed my mind. Because for me as an adult teaching children, I suppose 
again, this is I get quite often mixed up about because I teach adults for yeah. work, but I teach kids rugby at the weekend yeah. so it's hard to sometimes think and one of the my coaching um, mentors if you like within rugby said you have to remember that they're not young adults they're kids mm. they are different their brains are uh, yeah. their brains are wired differently at the moment yeah they can't interpret how you interpret instructions mm. so that for me is quite challenging sometimes mm. and oh, the other thing that that, can, that I try and try and use quite a bit wherever I can although not not as much as I perhaps could is um, Human Givens the work of Human Givens um, and John Perry um, which is basically if you're, if you're missing fulfilment in one aspect of your life then you'll overcompensate in another um, and maybe you know, attention or, or praise or, or recognition appreciation whatever whatever that um, that child is, is lacking at He's, it's, it's playing out in that way, mm. um, and so usually it's a symptom of something rather than a direct. Yeah. Um, and yeah, coaching the system, you, you're not in a, a bear, you're not in a position to coach the system because no. you don't have access to the family life and friends, relationships, and things. And he's very young and immature, and perhaps. So anyway, trying to yeah. steer that back yeah. to because I don't want to get too into it, but there's an element of that that. To get to better understand why people don't are cynical, mm. you probably do need that system understanding, don't you? Yeah, you absolutely. do need. You need to get. It's something that you probably can't solve overnight. You've got to get more detailed. You've got to sit down. You've got to have longer conversations. You've mm. got to have more conversations. You've got to develop an understanding of their history. Yeah. And. It takes time, man. Oh, absolutely, time. yeah. But we haven't got time. Uh, <laughs> haven't we? I don't know. Tempted to try and say something really philosophical, but like, you know, haven't, haven't we got time to not have time? But um, the, yeah, the looking at the thing, the 360 is usually associated with feedback, but 360 in terms of coaching is quite an important way of looking at it as well. Because if you're just coaching that one individual, we'll call him Ian. He has his perspectives, which are are very narrow. Anybody has their own interpretation of things. Uh, we spent a lot of time today looking at how other people can see exactly the same thing in a very different way. And so the people he interacts with, his boss, his mm. colleagues, his, his family, his friends, will all have a different perspective that he's just not aware of, mm. unless you ask, unless he asks, unless you share. So, mm. Having that sort of system, systemic approach to coaching the system is important if you're looking for holistic change and impact. Mm. And actually that's the faster way of getting real change. Because you can get some, some small level change by coaching that one individual, maybe even some medium sized change by coaching that one individual. But if they're not changing the behaviours with everybody else and changing, taking into account their perspectives, it's gonna, the impact's going to be limited. So this is an interesting thing. Take a slight aside on that. Again, I'm trying to. I'm swinging backwards and forwards between the rugby and the, from my perspective, the rugby and the, the scrum coaching. So, I, a recent coaching course that I went on, I talked a lot about kind of team-based coaching games, okay. where you've got maybe eight kids involved mm. in the game, um, and you might be co- making observations, bring the team back together, ask them, did you notice that you did this and try this different classic team coaching stuff. And they also talk, well they didn't talk too much about this, but this is perhaps something that we get more involved with from a 
the scrum side of things is individual coaching. So that's very hard. You've got kids for an hour on a Sunday morning. Mm. You can't do both. You almost automatically, they assume that the encourage the, the opinion is that to have a, a coaching team, you have probably for, let's say, 12 kids, 15 kids, you might have three coaches. Mm -hmm. three, three or four would be perfect. So that way you can run a game, but then one of two of you could take a few kids to yeah. side and do some more technical skill-based stuff. Okay. Scrum masters don't have that luxury. There's a there's a hot potato. For All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the other side of that. I'll argue against your point. In that they have more time than you do. They don't just have an hour, and so they can they can focus their their interventions. Uh, around team-based interventions around certain points and individual interventions around other points. I think they can um, you know, focus the team in cer certain times separate. Um, but in the case that we're talking about, you might need an hour. So you think a scrum master should be, have the time to sit with a team member who perhaps is struggling to grasp this scrum idea. Yes. You're saying yes. Yes. An hour. Yes. At least, yeah. Um, I mean, my coaching sessions usually an hour and a half. It takes about twenty, thirty, maybe sometimes forty minutes to get past the the surface level stuff. And I assume, even, so. Let's, just, let's again to try and test you further, but let's assume that person is cynical about the yeah. idea of coaching. Mm -hmm. in, in the fact, why have you got me in this room? Mm. Why won't you let me go back to my job? Yep. That's a tough. Yeah, that first 20 minutes is, is a yeah. tough 20 minutes to get them sitting sit, still to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And get you, them can only, you can only coach people with permission. Yeah. So I'm, I'm never, I never try and coach through subterfuge. I never try and mask what I'm doing, uh, sort of Darren Brown manipulation or anything. It's, it's very much a, you know, <coughs> if, if you want any kind of help, this is, I'm open to that. And your agenda is the agenda. But there's an element of how are you fitting into the bigger picture here? Yeah. Your goals, if you want to stay at this organisation somehow, have to match with the organisational goals. Um, and how, are you, how fulfilled are you? And how, how can you be more fulfilled? Have you, just to hmm. put you on the spot, but have you ever had people walk out? Yeah. Have you? Because um, you can't force people to be there against nope. their own will. No. And in some respects, have you have you said this isn't working? I'm going to stop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and because I don't want anybody wasting their time or money. No. So, as well as it's not particularly fulfilling for me, but I'm willing to I'm willing to work through that yeah. if, if, if other people are. But <clears throat> yeah, it's I think there are times when you know I'm not the right kind of coach for somebody. I or perhaps they just don't need you right now. Yeah, they're not they're not it's looking not, not for the it. Right they're time. not ready for it. Um, but equally, I'm not a particularly directive coach. Some people are more responsive to somebody who comes in sort of loud, quite firm, saying, right, seriously, stop the nonsense. This is silly. Grow up. And that's just not my style. But like you say, some people are, are receptive. Yeah. That's what some people need to hear. Yeah. And that's why coaching is a, is a wide spectrum. Uh, the, <coughs> the classic Alex Ferguson teacup throwing hairdryer treatment style, that's just not me. But... 
it, but people love obviously successful the players love Alex if you play for him but people generally yeah love him. so um, yeah people I, th- I believe I've managed to evolve style to be more encompassing yeah so where were we I don't know where did we start that was an interesting cynical, meander though. cynical teams that think this is all a load of nonsense maybe it is Jeff maybe this is the last one we'll do oh. no I've, I, I think I've always been open to the fact that it is a load of nonsense I think that's part of I think that's an important part approach. of your brain I think you don't you raise this point today that you need to have a, sometimes a cynical side is useful yeah definitely right? People, um, Ian we'll call him Ian <laughs> Has, uh, has a potentially hugely valuable part to play uh, uh, in a team. Exactly. They can see all the reasons why this might fail. They can see all well, the we risks. We need to see those sometimes. And having a cynical cynical perspective can be really, really useful to avoid being naive and, and falling into traps. But we, it needs to be balanced. And it shouldn't necessarily be the same person playing that role. So That's an interesting thing, sometimes to change the roles I, up. Yeah. Ask people to deliberately play different, different roles. Yeah. Sometimes you can't see how negative it can be until you see someone else doing it. Yeah. So and how, how enlightening it can be to to suddenly be freed up from your natural role of oh I'm forced to be Mr. Positive. Yeah. They've now got an excuse to be positive without losing face. Yeah. Um, interesting so, yeah. one to try. Yeah. Anyway, time my pint glass is, is empty. empty. Time for another one. It's been fun. Yes. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, mate. Until the next one. Ta-da.